Hello and welcome to Capital Ideas. This is where we sit down with members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives to give you an inside look at important aspects of how your citizen legislature works and who and what it's working for. Today we're talking with Representative Christine Kilduff. Christine works for the good folks of the 28th Legislative District, which includes, and here comes a mouthful, Furcrest, University Place, Lakewood, Stillicum, Tillicum, DuPont, part of Tacoma, Graham, Spanaway, and Anderson and McNeil Islands. She lives in University Place, was an assistant state attorney general for the better part of two decades, and was first elected to the House in 2014. We recorded this conversation on Tuesday, February 23, 2016, and here it is. Representative Christine Kilduff, welcome to Capital Ideas. I appreciate you taking a little bit of time to be with us today. Oh, thanks so much, Dan. Great to be with you today. I know a little bit about you because I know you, but I also know a little bit about you from reading your legislative bio. I know a few details about your history. I know you were an assistant attorney general. I know that you uh, have quite an academic background. I know that you're a family woman. Uh, you're a mom. You live in the university place. That doesn't say why you are a state legislator. There are only 147 of those in this entire state out of 7 million people. Why you? You know, I served on the University Place School Board for almost four years. And, and actually, Dan, you know, as recently as two and a half years ago, uh, serving in this body in the House of Representatives was not quite on my radar, to tell you the truth. Some community members approached me and said, you need to think about doing this, considering this opportunity. And so for a few months thereafter, I did and then decided to run. And um, it has been such an honor serving here. So I think my school board service, that sort of was influential in the community members approaching me. And here I am having finished uh, first year and now we're into the second year of being a legislator. And it has been such an honor to serve the 28th Legislative District. I know that in your two years so far as a state legislator, you've focused quite a bit on something that's central to your district, which is military families and ways to make their lives better, also public safety. We're going to talk about those later, but the focus of this session, at least most of the attention that has been focused on you this session, has to do with the landmark law called the ABLE Act. The ABLE Act stands for Achieving Better Life Experience Act. And, and actually, Dan, it, it starts really with the federal government and uh, a huge bipartisan vote in both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate to establish these individual accounts, that is, accounts for individuals with disabilities and their family members so they can take advantage of savings without tax consequences, much like we do right now for education, for college education. You can invest in a 529 program in certain states. So this would allow individuals with a disability or their family members to invest up to $14,000 a year into these special accounts. And this truly is a historic opportunity. You know, 26 years ago, the Americans with Disabilities Act came into being. That literally opened up doors for so many people across our nation. But what this legislation does at the federal level and then through each state 
choosing to follow that path because that that's the way it needs to be done you now have a financial tool for the very first time available to individuals with disabilities so they have a they have a hope for a better tomorrow the way the accounts work is you actually take after-tax dollars um, so you you take money from your paycheck let's say you invest it into that account up to fourteen thousand dollars a year and when those accounts accrue when they grow when you withdraw then those funds the growth is not taxed which is really important because you can save smarter and faster and easier for expenses like housing education and transportation they have to be qualified expenses much like again a 529 where you you put money in and that as that account grows um, you're not taxed on the growth when you pull it out to pay for those college expenses and because the principal was already an after-tax contribution you're not taxed on the principal as you pull that out either that is correct does the ABLE Act multiply the benefits of something that kind of already existed, or is it a brand new thing on the face of the earth? This is really a groundbreaking tool. As I mentioned earlier, you know, it's historic in that for the very first time, money can be put away in these accounts, and you can invest those dollars when they're withdrawn in certain qualified expenses. And never before in federal law, or certainly under uh, our state law, did we have any tool uh, like the ABLE Act available. Uh, and I think that's the reason, Dan, why it garnered so much bipartisan support back in D.C., where sometimes there's little agreement. Uh, on, really? On, yeah. <laughs> little agreement on, on really big issues. And this is something that Congress rallied around and I'm happy to say that we rallied around here uh, in our state and I look forward to this bill getting to the governor's desk and, and becoming law here in Washington State. If they can do it back in DC, we can do it here. Are there any age restrictions on this? Great question. Right now, the onset of that disability to, to qualify to invest in these accounts has to be by age 26. There is some hope uh, and some discussion that that age will be increased because think about our veterans, Dan, those in combat serving uh, our country, that active duty member is permanently disabled, comes home, and they're 27. They don't get to take part in, in these accounts, um, and their family members can't support him or her, notwithstanding that uh, sacrifice through the use of these accounts. So there is discussion, and this would need to take place at the federal level. The feds, the feds govern this, so they 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 set that ceiling of 26 years of age. So I am hopeful that at some point in the not too distant future, that 26 year age. I'll call it a restriction, that it's bumped up and uh, allows us to have more individuals to be able to participate in these accounts. This seems like the kind of thing that could be a great solace to parents of kids with disabilities because at some point they know that they, the parents, are not really going to be able to take care of that youngster who is then an adult. I think that the peace of mind component of these accounts is huge for families. Most parents, they're going to predecease that child, and the, the comfort that and the hope, really, that these accounts can provide, say just something as simple as knowing that that child can have his or her own modest home that they could live in once mom and dad are gone, um, and that the savings towards that home over over time, you know, builds, and then the, the that account grows tax-free. I just... 
I'm a mom, I've got two daughters, they don't face a life of disability, but as a parent, putting my feet in the shoes of parents who do have a child with a disability, I just think that peace of mind component is huge. I think it's enormous. And it sends a strong signal too, I think, that in our society we recognize that there are going to be special challenges for kids with disabilities and we're going to provide a tool for parents to, to save and plan and to have some hope for tomorrow and tomorrow that doesn't even include them being on this earth. Let's talk about politics for a moment. You're a Democrat. The Senate is controlled by Republicans. This bill has to pass out of the Senate before it can get to the governor's desk. What is the status of the bill, and what do you see realistically as the path it's going to take? I'm really excited about the fact that uh, there is what's called a companion to this bill. So there is a Senate bill uh, sponsored by um, one of my colleagues, both from the other chamber, but also uh, from the other party. So he is carrying the Senate bill. And both of our bills, and this kind of gets a little tricky perhaps, but they've They've passed out of each house, that is, my bill passed out of the House and the Senator's bill passed out of the Senate, and now they've switched houses. So uh, I believe the prospects of this bill getting to the governor's desk are excellent because at this point, you know, we've got two vehicles to do that. Um, it's really about getting the policy and the law and making sure that whether the House bill or the Senate bill doesn't make a difference to me. It's about making sure that we have this tool available as soon as possible for families and individuals with disabilities because absolutely critical. Well, there's just a couple of weeks left in the legislative session. We're going to follow this and see how this works out. Let me switch gears here for a minute and come right back to something that is so key to your district where so many military families and retirees, uh, as well as Defense Department employees work. What have you heard from the military people in your district, and how have you responded to the kinds of needs that they have, have brought to you? The 28th, we really are a very unique district. Uh, we have within our borders Joint Base Lewis-McChord, National Guard. Uh, you know, Dan, I was at a, a high school performance not too long ago, and, and kids were asked to raise their hand if they were military connected. And almost the whole auditorium, it was a sea of hands that went up. Um, and so clearly we have a real nexus to our military and many veterans living within the district. So, you know, over the last few weeks, I've been working on military-related bills that I've sponsored, one that actually protects active duty members when they need to deploy. They sometimes need to cancel an internet contract, telephone service, a health club membership. The bill that uh, I had sponsored would have allowed them to, upon deployment, um, not incur any penalties or fees for the, you know, their bona fide need to cancel that contract. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to make it over the finish line this year, but I will continue to work that. I think that's a really important issue. It basically is about consumer protection for active duty military members. There's also another bill still uh, moving through the legislature that establishes within the Attorney General's office, the office that I worked at as an assistant attorney general for 18 years, uh, really a statewide clearinghouse to facilitate the coordination of pro bono legal services for both active duty uh, members and veterans and their families. And we know uh, that um, there is a unique set of legal issues that our military families face. So this bill would establish that really important tool for families to, to um, take advantage of it. You know, if people are fighting abroad and they have sacrificed already for this country, they shouldn't have to face a legal problem alone here at home. 
And then lastly, another uh, initiative uh, we had a hearing on not too long ago would establish a pilot program for making sure that our rural and vets who live in small towns and in, in the countryside, that they have access to services. You know, we're really a geographically diverse state, and we have over half a million veterans within Washington State, and not all of their needs are getting met, and they shouldn't have to trek to Tacoma or Seattle or Spokane to get services. So this bill is about meeting veterans where they are, and uh, we're, we're, we have a great track record here in Washington of developing really strong community-based programs. And this would be an opportunity to pilot that idea and then expand it. So whether you live in DuPont, within my district, or across, uh, across the state in Dayton, you can get the services that you need and actually have earned in service to this country. Time is tight, I realize, and I don't want to keep you here for the rest of the day, but what else? Well, we've been enormously focused here on education the last few weeks. And as a mom who actually has two daughters in the public schools, one in junior high, one in high school, I feel a deep sense of urgency around the McCleary decision and making sure that we fully and fairly fund education, our public school system. I use the word McCleary, and perhaps that's a little inside jargon. That's the Supreme Court's decision that found that the legislature has failed to meet its constitutional duty, uh, what's called a paramount duty to fully fund public education. So, you know, one of the reasons why I live in University Place is because of the, the schools. Lived in Washington uh, 20 years, just about 18 in University Place, and came to the South Sound expressly because I knew that we were going to start a family and wanted our daughters to attend public school. So That's why I live in UP and so proud to have been a part of that community and feel a deep sense of commitment to doing right by our public schools. I feel like we have some work yet to do. I think the court has made that clear. And I'm excited that we did pass legislation here, uh, the Senate bill, which is, again, what they call a companion to the House bill that I think sends a, a, a very good message about the fact that we're making progress. Would I have liked to have seen more progress on the education front in that bill? Yes, but it was a negotiated bill. And in terms of priorities here, I guess to answer your catch-all question, Dan, I, I feel like education is very much in the, in the forefront of my mind and look forward to making sure that we complete that work with, with all due speed. It's no small task. Indeed, indeed. I'm going to let you go now, Christine. I really appreciate you spending a few minutes with the listeners of Capital Ideas. You bet. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Thanks. That's it for today, and I'm impressed. If you feel like the last 15 minutes were worthwhile, why not subscribe to this podcast now on iTunes or at housedemocrats.wa.gov. It's the easiest way to get a regular dose of Capital Ideas. After all, this is your state government. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats. Thank you for listening. <laughs>